You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Palm Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert Forto and I am joined by my co-host, Michelle and Tony. And we are finishing up tonight our 2023 Iditarod coverage. It's been a heck of a ride. We started well over two weeks ago with our kickoff show, The Night of the Banquet. And here we are at the Finisher's Banquet. All of these weeks, all of these stories, all of these hours later on our podcast. So I am anxious to get involved. First off, I want to thank all of our Patreon supporters that have come on over the last few weeks. I think we've recognized all of you in previous podcasts. But if we haven't, Thank you, and we'll definitely send over some information and stuff to you in the few, next few days so we can get out some stuff to you. So let's jump over to Tony first. Tony, how's it going in your neck of the woods? Sorry, I had muted my microphone because my dog decided he needed to try and upchuck on the floor. Um, it's going well today. Other than that, um, we were supposed to have snow and it didn't really happen and the winds have died down. So it's just a relaxing Sunday in that way. It has been a relaxing Sunday for sure. We have been very busy with our UAA students and thankfully that course is over, but, uh, we are ready to finish up our podcast and then move on to whatever the next project is. In the queue, for sure. So, Michelle, how's it going on your end? Woo! It has been quite the day. It's been quite the weekend. It has been a rocking and rolling mushing season. And I am excited for this uh, banquet and this discussion. And I'm also excited for our lineup of interviews you have set up with the mushers that were in this year's Iditarod. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. So definitely stay tuned to the podcast. So, Nicole, excuse me, Nicole. Uh, Tony, <laughs> I know that you have been following along on the Mushers Finishers Banquet. They're sort of in the middle of it now. They've given out a lot of their big awards, and now they're in the process of working their way through um, some of the others, as well as their thank you presentations. So let's jump right into this. I know that you are following along on Twitter as well. But the first thing I want to mention is what's going on with Emily Robinson. I guess she had one heck of a speech. She was amazing. So um, there was a group, and I cannot off the top of my head remember the group, but uh, they flew her up a couple of days ago so that she could 
participate in some of the finishers stuff. She was one of the mushers during the meet and greet yesterday where people could get her autograph and she's been able to just mingle with all of the important people of Iditarod as well as the mushers, the dogs, and she's having a heck of a time. If you don't follow Robin, the Robinson Racing Kennel, I think is what it's called on Facebook, you need to because she was living she was, she's just been having a blast up in Nome. Um, but they allowed her or they asked her to give a speech to basically open up the uh, awards ceremony. And she gave one heck of a speech. She talked about, um, well, first of all, she recognized um, the Reddington win and how important that was historically. Um, but she really focused on the importance of supporting rural mushing and supporting the smaller races. She feels that, you know, in order for her generation of mushers to really thrive, there needs to be a thriving mushing community. And so she implored those of us watching and those of us, those that were there, especially mushers in the community, that they needed to come along and come together and it wasn't like a union speech, but it was one of those things where we all need to be united. We need to fight back against the naysayers, but also fight back against each other's negativity and really work on supporting each other in the sport. Um, she said, and I'm probably misquoting this just a little bit, but she said, taking care of dogs is a privilege. Racing is a bonus. Um, she called out the bureaucracy of certain races, which I thought was very brave considering where she was standing and who she was standing near. Um, and she called for just greater support of the sport and of Iditarod. She even mentioned that, you know, she has heard rumors floating around the different mushers that they don't believe Iditarod's going to be here in 10 years. And she said that talk needs to stop. And instead of that being the topic of conversation, the topic of conversation needs to be, how do we make sure to preserve this sport, uh, the race, and this culture and lifestyle, just as Joe Reddington wanted to do back in the early uh, 70s? Wow, that's pretty impressive. Was that all off the cuff, or was she reading, or what? She was definitely reading, but she was very passionate in her delivery. It was definitely something from the heart. And I think she just had her notes there so that she made sure to say what she wanted to say. If you missed it because you don't have insider or you decided you didn't want to watch the banquet, they do have a recording of it on her face on her kettle's Facebook page. Uh, her parents, of course, recorded it, so it's not the exact same view as what we got on Insider, but it's it's pretty brilliant, and I think everybody should watch it and should give her kudos because that was a very brave speech to be speaking to all of these mushers and uh, bigwigs that she's supposed to basically just sit there and, and let them talk and, and her just kowtow. She actually challenged them, and, and I think that's a huge deal. And so kudos to her. Very proud of Emily. That was probably the highlight of the night for me. Well, guys, remember we did interviews with both Emily and her brother Stanley right before uh, the start of I Did a Rod, right before she entered to, or 
or started to the winning of the junior Iditarod just a week or two ahead of time. So my my big question then is how was she perceived by the other mushers, by the uh, uh, the you know the group in in the banquet hall there? What was the response to her speech? Uh, she got a standing ovation, so I think she did pretty well. Um, Very cool. Uh, she she got quite she got quite a bit of good feedback, positive feedback from the audience during her speech. There were some times when she made her point and people were quiet, but at the same time, once she finished, she got a rousing bit of applause. And like I said, most people stood for her. So. Um, I, I think overall who she was speaking to most, they appreciated it. I think that she does have quite a bit of a fan base already in the mushing community. So, you know, when she speaks, they're going to start to listen. Um, but again, like I keep saying, just being a teenager, a young teenager and willing to go to bat like that, I don't even care if she, you know, had help scripting that. It was it was a gutsy, gutsy speech, in my opinion. Well, we talked a lot about uh, this year's Iditarod is the changing of the guard, and I believe she's won the junior Iditarod two times in a row. Is that right? Uh, yes. So definitely a changing of the guard. I know she has a couple of years before she's able to run the Iditarod in, in you know, the, the real Iditarod, if you will, junior Iditarod compared to I did a rod, but it will be interesting to see how that all pans out. Before we jump into the other awards, what is the uh, makeup of the banquet tonight? Is it pretty well attended? Is it typical from what you've seen in the past? Uh, what's the vibe of the banquet itself? Well, the banquet is always packed, and this year is no exception. Um, they have shown the crowd quite a bit, and it's not standing room only, but every table is full. Um, the line for food was quite long, so long uh, that they actually cut to some insider interviews that they have already published, but uh, just so that you weren't just staring at the screen watching people stand in a line. So I appreciate that. I know some fans were getting on insider's case for that, but really I could not care less about watching people go through a buffet line for an hour. And that wasn't insider's fault that they started late serving the food. That wasn't even Iditarod's fault. So um, I'm, I'm just getting on my little soapbox there. I will, I will, that is the hill I will die on. <laughs> okay. But, but right. I do, I do want to bring up while we're talking about junior Iditarod, I do want to bring up, this was brought to my attention just tonight by Marilyn Mapes. Uh, of course, mother to Meredith, who is an Iditarod finisher. But um, Ryan Reddington is the first and only Iditarod champion to have also won the junior Iditarod. Ah, I thought I thought there were several others there uh, that had done nope. that, but I did nope. not. I, I scrolled. I scrolled through to make sure she wasn't pulling my leg. And Ryan's is the only one. Very cool. So let's jump into uh, the other awards. First off, can you tell us sort of how this process works? I know you mentioned it to me off air last night, but what's, what is the sort of outline of the banquet? That way people that are listening kind of have an idea of where we're at. Yeah, so they, uh, they all file in and um, they're welcomed by the 
mayor of Nome this year because he's the MC, and uh, they do, of course, the invocation and the Star Spangled Banner, the Alaska State Song. Then they go into, um, well, normally they go right into the ceremony, but like I said, they started eating late, so they spent a good deal of time going through the buffet line that was provided by um, the restaurant there at the Lakefront Hotel in Anchorage. Uh, I believe prime rib was on the menu. It looked pretty good from the little bit I could see, but, um, and then they jump right in and they start, uh, you know, Rob Erbach, the CEO gives a little, you know, thank you speech. And then they go straight into those quote unquote special awards. The ones that, you know, they win for going so far in, in being first into certain checkpoints and then the awards that are voted on at the end of the race. Okay, so let's jump into those awards. And I assume that they start from the beginning of the race onwards and including the first two yep. McGrath and all those. So let's run those down. And if you have anything to say, we can talk about that a little bit. Otherwise, we will uh, go to where we're at and then we'll jump in with some back and forth. All right. So, oh, you wanted me to do that. Oh, yes. Go for <laughs> um, it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, anybody else can do it, too. This is a lot of me talking. But um, so I'm just going to go really quickly into the awards that were won on the trail because we should all know them because we talked about them in previous ep uh, episodes of the podcast. Of course, the honorary musher is Lance Mackey. And then the Alaska Air Transit Spirit of Iditarod. Rod Award. It's the first musher to uh, reach McGrath. That went to Ryan Reddington. Uh, then the GCI Dorothy Page Halfway Award. That's the first musher that gets into Iditarod this year. Uh, and that went to Wade Mars. I should back up though, because there were two awards given that, or three, I'm sorry, three awards given that are not actually listed on the Iditarod website. Um, these are ones that the communities actually have decided to give out, um, not necessarily connected with Iditarod, but because of Iditarod. Um, you have the first musher into McGrath, and then you have the last musher into McGrath, um, who also gets beaver mitts, and that was Mike Williams, Jr. Um, and then, okay, it is just two awards, sorry. Uh, and then first to Nikolai was Nick Petit. And he got some really pretty beaver mitts. So congratulations to them. Um, and then let's see, the first to the Yukon was Jesse Holmes. He, of course, got, he said he got one heck of a meal from the Marx Brothers Cafe. Uh, first, uh, Fish First Award, which is first to Caltag, was Ryan Reddington. The Gold Coast Award, which is the first to Unicleat, was also Ryan Reddington. And then Northrum Banks Achieve More Award, which is first musher into White Mountain, also Ryan Reddington. Uh, and so uh, then we get into the special awards that either get voted on or are given because of placement or time, uh, which doesn't get calculated, of course, until the end of the race when everybody's finished. And those, um, oh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
Nope, nope, I was not. Sorry, that was just kind of a me thing. So go for it. Oh, I was going to say, so those awards there that are voted on, do you know the process for that? Is it um, at a particular time? Is it like a secret ballot thing? How do they cast their votes? Do you know? All of the above. Um, It really depends on each award because you have like the veterinarian award, which I will talk about when we get to that one, um, because they did explain the voting process tonight at the banquet. Um, But as far as like the ones that the mushers vote on, that happens during the official finishers meeting that happens typically the Saturday before the banquet, um, because most of your finishers are in by then. Um, And then I guess any stragglers, either they don't get to vote or they get to push their vote in when they get in. I'm not sure how that exactly works, but I doubt there's ever been a vote where they had to wait for that that last vote to actually tip the scales in favor of someone over the other. Um, But that's how that's done. And then, like I said, for the... um, the humanitarian award, the one that goes for best vet care, that has its own process that I'll I'll explain when we get to that award. Okay, so I am going to start this off, and I'm going to go based on when you announce them on Twitter, since obviously I was not following along <laughs> on on the Insider. So let's start with the Sportsmanship Award, voted on by the official Finishers Club that you had just mentioned, and that goes to Hunter Keefe. What do you know about that one, and what did he say, if anything in particular, uh, at the uh, at the speech? Anything that of note? Of course, I'm sure it's all of note, but maybe a point or two. <laughs> sure. So Hunter won the Sportsmanship Award. Uh, if you listen to or read any of the media coverage, be it Insider, I did a pod. Um, Anchorage Daily News, KTU, anywhere, anytime Hunter is spoken about, it's spoken about his positive attitude, how he just seemed, uh, according to Greg Heister, it just felt like Hunter was that kid at Disneyland the whole trip. He was just in his element. He was so happy, just excited about everything. Eddie Burke has said in several post-race interviews that You know, Hunter is just one of those guys that he's just singing and dancing at all times. Um, So that played a huge part into the Sportsmanship Award. But he also helped Eddie Burke Jr., who was his main competitor for that Rookie of the Year title. Um, And he, uh, (laughs) he, he helped him when Eddie fell asleep and fell off his sled. Hunter actually drove him with his team uh, to try and find Eddie's lost team. So that was where that sportsmanship award really came into play. He got a huge ovation from the crowd. um, One of the biggest ovations of the night. Uh, He said, he said in part talking about uh, when he found Eddie, he said, I was just singing and dancing along when I came up on Eddie uh, and he said, you know, uh, he gave credit to his dogs. Mostly he's like, Eddie jumped on the back of the sled and they didn't even look back to be like, what are you doing? You know, they just kept going like no big deal. Um, and then a little while later, Hunter said he was bummed. Eddie got picked up by the snow machine about a mile before the checkpoint because they were having so much fun. 
so that that just kind of gives you an idea of who Hunter is. Nothing seems to phase this guy on the on the trail. His insider post race interview is just as exuberant and excited even after because they do those post race interviews like right after they finish. They might get a nap in before Greg pulls them in for an interview, but not always. Um, so it was a well-deserved award. It was definitely one that should not have shocked anyone. So, uh, up next on your list is Jason Mackey was awarded the most inspirational musher award. Is this also one that was voted on by the, uh, by the group? I'm sure that there was heck of a story there. We mentioned the other night if there was going to be any talk about, uh, you know, the Lance connection and all that. And he was pretty mum uh, in his finisher interview. What uh, transpired there, if you could share? Sure. So uh, he got another long ovation. It was very, very long. In fact, he decided instead of just sitting there waiting for people to stop clapping, he'd just start talking. Um, he, you know, he acknowledged that this was a difficult race for many reasons, um, mainly because he finished with five dogs and that was kind of a hardship, but he did say that he finished with five damn good dogs. Um, he also mentioned that his leader, and I apologize, I did not actually hear what the dog's name was. I know he said it twice, but I could not make out what exactly the name was. Um, but he said the leader belonged to Lance and that's why they finished was that lead dog. And it was no surprise to him that, uh, that dog did as well as he did considering who his original musher was. Um, the, there wasn't a whole lot of talk. I, I don't know if he said that in his thank yous, um, a little while later because we had to start recording. So I missed it, but, um, I don't know if he said more about Lance, but he definitely, um, you know, that, that was definitely something that came to mind. And I think he knew that that was part of why he won that award. Part of the reward or what's awarded to the most inspirational musher is that they get their um, entry fee for next year's Iditarod hmm. um, waived. So, so he does say that he'll be back next year. He's like, I guess I have no excuse now. <laughs> right. And, and for folks that saw the video of Jason coming in, uh, he came in with a single leader. And that's relatively uncommon in today's mushing. But as you mentioned, mm -hmm. that was... Uh, one of Lance's dogs that uh, that sort of pulled him in on that last little bit of the trail. So the next up is the Herbie Nyukpuk uh, Memorial Award for True Alaskan Spirit to Bridget Watkins. I know this is uh, one of your favorite mushers here. What do you know about that one? <laughs> so, you know, they don't really give you a whole lot of information on how, you know, or or why or whatever. Uh, it is chosen by uh, the checkers and the checkpoints uh, who best epitomizes Herbie Nyakpuk's spirit of mushing the Iditarod. And so the volunteers and the checkpoints, the checkers, they voted Bridget in. Um, there wasn't, you know, like a little speech prepared as to why she, she was the one that they chose. Um, she did come up and say that she was so humbled 
Um, she had really no words on, on how to express what it meant to her. Um, she said she, this has been a dream of her since she was a little kid, and that dream has come true. So uh, she's a very spirited, very positive person. It does not surprise me that she would win something like that, especially when it's voted on by volunteers. That's a big deal. Um, so congratulations to Bridget. She did also mention that this was a very um, different I did a lot of experience than last year, mainly because she did carry the ashes of court services officer Curtis Warland home to Nome. So uh, she's another one that probably could have won the inspirational award in any other year. So next up is the Grayling Checkpoint. They win the Golden Clipboard Award. Who is that uh, that does the voting on that? Is that the mushers or is that the the vets and the volunteers and all those guys or whom? It's the official finishers. It's the Iditarod finishers that vote on the checkpoint. Um, it, the criteria is it's who the mushers feel is the most helpful along the trail. Like Mark Nordman said, as he was presenting that award or announcing that award, um, you know, every checkpoint goes out of its way to be as helpful and caring, and it's always very difficult. Don't have a story as to why Grayling got the uh, award this year. We very rarely actually hear, like, a big reason why, but Grayling got the most votes, so it's the one that wins. And I saw on Facebook today, this is a little bit of an aside, but I saw some back and forth uh, today on Facebook about the Nikolai checkpoint. And they were talking about uh, the quote unquote fancy bathroom that they have there. I guess they have some sort of heated <laughs> bathroom. That's, that's a, a welcomed uh, reprieve from those days on the trail. That's, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I think there was a few years ago that Shaq Tulik closed their public restrooms to the Iditarod because people were mistreating it or misusing it, or they just didn't have the, the water pressure to make sure it didn't get clogged or something. There was like this big note on, it was either 2019 or 2020. I think it was 19 because 20, you know, Shaq Tulik, they won the award because they weren't actually a checkpoint at that point. They had to move uh, the race away from the, the village because of COVID, but they still managed to set stuff up for the mushers. So they won that award. So I think it was 19 that it had like this really, passive-aggressive note about why the bathrooms were not to be used by Iditarod mushers. Gotcha. But yeah, I think Nikolai is also the one that has like the no doors on the stalls or something. So. Oh my goodness. All <laughs> right. So let's go into one that a lot of fans really uh, uh, jump onto, and that is the Humanitarian Award for Best Dog Care. I know that this is a highly coveted award by by the mushers, this really stands to, uh, you know, not only your race, but just a sort of uh, uh, the way that you that you mush dogs. And that is our buddy Deke. And I am not going to say his last name for sake of uh, uh, having issues with it. What do you know about this award and Deke? So the Leonard Seppala Humanitarian Award, um, which this year is presented by the Pike Dog Wellness First Initiative, that's a mouthful. Um, it's been presented since the 80s, 
and it is voted on by the veterinary staff as well as using a scorecard. It's only for the top 20. Those are the only mushers that are eligible um, because I think they are trying to, you know, encourage those that really are competitive to make sure that they don't cut rest or anything. Um, so it is an encouragement for that reason. Um, but it's voted on by the vets and the checkpoints, and then it, they've got a scorecard in Gnome that um, goes through everything from, um, de you know, is the dog showing any signs of dehydration, what's their attitude, their, basically their dog version of the BMI, that sort of thing, um, to see, you know, just how, how healthy the team is overall. The vets that are in the checkpoints, they vote based on what they've observed as well as the care of, you know, the, the health of the dogs as is, but also the care that the, the mushers show within the checkpoint. Um, and so Deke was awarded that this year, and he was very surprised, very humbled. Um, he rambled on quite a bit um, and then finally just stopped himself, and he's like, this is awesome. Uh, he did say that uh, it's the greatest thing he's ever received at this point in his life. Um, and then also said, pointed out a little bit of irony that Jason won the most inspired award, but here Deke is winning this award, and it was Jason who inspired him not to run in the heat for the first few days. And he said it was very, very difficult. It was He was so impatient, but it obviously paid off in the end. Yeah, it, it's definitely one of those. And and as a musher, I would really like to know uh, who's on that top of that list. I think that that would really go to show uh, just who is out there performing at their op optimal best in terms of dog care. And if we could uh, be a fly on the wall in those discussions, I think would be a very interesting uh, insight into the race for sure. So next up is a, a very cool award. I think this really gives kudos to this particular musher that wins this award uh, every year. And that is the most improved musher. And it looks like Matt Failer uh, took that one. And the way that they judge on this one is uh, how many spots you move up uh, in the rankings. Yeah. And, and I don't have my Iditarod finishing times up, but I guess it was Matt, right? It was, yeah, and I misquoted the um, the placement from last year and this year, and I don't have that readily available now, so I do apologize for that. But Matt won it. He was very gracious about it, thanked his dogs, thanked his human team back home and, you know, on the trail for um, the encouragement and whatnot. Uh, this was something that he had hoped to do this year was to break into the top 10. I think he was actually trying to shoot for the top five, um, but top 10 is nothing to sneeze at, especially with this surprisingly competitive field this year. So um, yeah, Matt, Matt got it and looked good doing it. So Michelle's going to jump in here. So according to his career summary, I pulled it up very quickly. His um, best finishes before this year was a um, 13th place in 2018 with 10 days and five, almost six hours uh, to finish that year. Um, and 
you know, he he's been mushing since 2012. So <clears throat> he's been in some large fields. Uh, like in 2016, he finished 61st. And if correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Tony, but is it most improved from the year previous or is it most improved over a different stat? Previous. Previous. So, so last year. Uh, so... Most improved from last year. Right. Yep. Right. And he has won this award before. Oh, he, nice. He has won it. Um, mm -hmm. They have it on here twice, but it's for the same year. So that's a typo. But he's won it in 2018. Oh, sweet. So Matt, he's always one of my favorites. He's also one of our neighbors here on, on our trail system. So he's one of the very few mushers I get a chance to see out when we're running dogs and always been a Matt Failer fan for sure. So next up, Tony, is probably my uh, most favorite award. And I think, in, in my opinion, probably the most important award, uh, at least in, in, uh, in my way of thinking, and that is the Golden Harness Award. We always talk about uh, the race is all about the dogs, but in my opinion, they just do not get enough credit. And I can understand why if you have hundreds of dogs in a race it's definitely tough to give credit to all of those equally if you will but they they do their best with uh with the golden harness award and it's typically given to uh the top lead dogs and i'm going to ask you that question after you tell us a little bit about ghost and sven here in a second but i guess they weren't having it after they uh got their kudos they were ready to bolt yeah, um, I think they were in there a little bit early because I I swear I heard some dogs whining off camera um, several speeches before the Golden Harness. Um, you know, it's it's not a typical experience that a sled dog or really any dog would experience, which is sitting up there on a podium that probably wiggles, which most dogs don't like things that don't feel solid underneath their feet. Um, and here they are, and they've got cameras in their face. They've got everybody's attention. It's loud. It's, there's a lot of noises and smells they're not used to. Um, you know, they're well socialized. I did a rod dogs for the most part, but they're high strung type dogs and they're not really socialized for speeches. Um, they're socialized for like vet checks and crowds possibly cheering but not in that sort of contained setting. So they're, you know, they're putting on the, the golden harness on one of them, and then they're putting the yellow roses on both of them. And they did really well. They took the pictures with Ryan, but they were definitely showing signs of this is dumb. Why are we here? Um, or at least, you know, the, the facsimile of what a dog would probably be thinking. And, um, and then Ryan got up and immediately one of the dogs just dropped his head and made sure that those flowers went off. And then they started following Ryan like, nope, get me out of here. I am done. If you're done, I'm done. So um, it, it was just, you watch it every time. You know, the dogs don't really understand the hoopla. They just know that they went on a really long walk and they had so much fun and it was a great adventure and everybody's happy and I got lots of snacks afterwards. And so the whole hoopla of the Golden Harness, it's lost on them. It's a big deal for their musher. Ryan even said growing up, he dreamt of his dogs winning this award. Um, but for the dogs themselves, they're like, this is not what I signed up for, guys. 
Right. And as a, a dog musher and a dog trainer my entire career, I would love to say that uh, every musher uh, should train their dogs for this. We always train our dogs <laughs> to do things that they that we want them to do. For example, not jump on the, the counters and counter surf or to stay off the, the bed or the couch or whatever. And you train them so if it de- ever, ever does happen, uh, they know that they are either not supposed to do it or supposed to do it. I would bet that every musher in the world would love to train their dogs to be in the situation where they get the golden harness. And I'm sure you could agree with me, right, Michelle? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I think that that's everybody uh, has that goal. For sure. So uh, kudos to Ghost and Sven, even though they do not care one way or the other, whether they get the accolades (laughs) or not. So I guess that leads to my next question, Tony. And I don't know if you know the answer to this. We definitely didn't talk about it off air. But do you know if any recent musher that you can think of gave it to another dog other than their lead dog? I know that's more than typical. Well, I don't know how things have changed or if they've changed. It's normally something that's voted on by mushers, not just the winner. Um, In the past, there have been, and it's always the lead dogs, um, but in the past, like in the 80s and 70s, it wasn't necessarily the winning team's lead dog. It was a lead dog that, you know, the mushers all got to talking about stories and that lead dog popped up as who they voted on. And then in the 80s, it kind of got political or at least it felt political when Granite, Susan Butcher's lead dog, did not win the Golden Harness, I think twice. And it wasn't until basically Susan's team called everybody out and said, look, you can be upset that Susan keeps kicking your butt, but don't take it out on the dog. Ah. And then Granite finally got the golden harness. So um, I think since then it's just defaulted for most voting groups to the winner's lead dogs. Um, I'm not sure if that's tradition that's changed or if the rules have changed. Um, but tip- it's funny, it's typical to see two dogs up there getting the golden harness, yet they always only have one golden harness. And then they're surprised when there's two up there, um, so, which is what happened this year, too. They're like, oh, we only have one harness. We'll and, get you another one. And, and it, <laughs> I, I learned something from, from what you just said. I did not know that this award was voted on by other mushers. So that's pretty interesting. And then secondly, I had no idea that um, that it's always been the lead dogs of, of, the, of the winning team. Because you often hear sometimes in other sports, and not necessarily like in the Super Bowl MVP or whatever, but in particular in like hockey or something like that, you will have uh, MVPs from the losing team, not necessarily the winning team all the time. And I guess, like you said, before it got political, uh, that could that could realistically happen. That could be the dog with the the most unique story. Uh, one other thing about the golden harness and the yellow roses that they get, if I am correct, I believe that 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 they have some type of display at the um, at the headquarters for that. And I think that they have some dried yellow roses or something. I don't know if it's for every year or what. Do you know anything about that? 
Um, I'm not sure if it's every year. I have seen what you're talking about. Most of your kennels that they're, you know, they're the champions, so they have the lead dogs. Like, again, I know everyone's going to get on my case for bringing up the CVs, but this is my experience. Um, like, Mitch and Dallas both have their trophies, and around it is the golden, not the golden harness, I'm sorry, excuse me, the uh, the dried yellow roses and they're hanging on that trophy or around that trophy um and then you know they signify which dog uh, got that but i i can't be sure what they have how they have it set up on uh, at the uh, headquarters i do know what you're talking about i just don't know if it's for if they list every year or just that year's recipients uh, so um, up next, are there any other of these awards uh, before we move on to the next part of this? Yeah, I did. I we did. I missed one um, with the fastest time. I know we did say that unofficially, but I just wanted to give a shout out again. Nicholas Petit did have the fastest time from safety to Nome. It was two hours and twelve minutes, and this is his fourth time winning this award. Um, so congratulations to him. And then just to talk about that Red Lantern Award one more time, because Jason Mackey did say something in his acceptance speech of that. Um, it actually had nothing to do necessarily with the, the Red Lantern. But as he was speaking, because he, uh, he said something about how he never planned to win a Red Lantern. But he said, congrats to Ryan Reddington. It was probably the coolest win other than when a Mackey wins. So ah, I just sweet. thought that was funny, and I'd give a shout-out. So, <laughs> Okay, uh, up next, uh, I thought that there may be, have, uh, in recent years, uh, some controversy to this, and, and it may be something I'm just misremembering. But for many years, they would give out the, the little trophies to everyone that would finish and would have uh, their finishing time on it. Usually it was just uh, uh, like a silver cup or something like that. Did they stop that in the last few years, or am I not remembering it correctly? Um, I think they only did it to the when they were the big rosters, or and when they had the bigger purse. It was for the top thirty, and then they got increasingly bigger as you got from like thirty to twenty, and then the top ten got even a slightly bigger one, and then you got the big bronze statue trophy thing if you were the winner. They still have. They still have those trophies. It only goes to the top 20. I think it's still the top 20 this year with such a small roster. Uh, it feels a little silly to only, you know, the last five or whatever. You guys don't get anything. But they, they still have those trophies, yeah. Oh, okay. And I just remember seeing my buddy Dave Shear's uh, trophies at his place, and he had several of them, and they all had his, you know, his finishing time and place and all of that. Yep. and. I didn't recall if they did that. And and another one was Martin Booser at his fancy welcome center or visitor centers or whatever he calls yep. it. He has a whole bunch of those lined up on the shelves yep. there. So let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the big trophy. We talked a little bit about that the other day about how uh, one resides at the, at the headquarters in Wasilla and uh, the musher gets one, and we were going back and forth trying, trying to figure out if it's going to go to Ryan's home. Does it travel to Minnesota every year? Uh, is it <laughs> going to go to Barb's place? Where is it going to go? We have no idea yet. But uh, is that presented here or when they go all the way through the mushers and do the 
uh, the talks and all that. Is that when that happens then? It's presented here. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's sitting there waiting to, waiting to go. So it's there. And I saw also that there is one that stays in Nome. There was a quick video of a couple of guys picking it up. There's one that stays there year round. Is that right? Yeah. And, you know, as we're talking about that, that's probably what actually gets presented. I can't imagine they want to actually haul that thing up to Nome and then have the musher haul it back when they're already hauling so much gear and spending that kind of money shipping out all of that stuff. So it's probably they just borrow the one from, from Nome. Um, but yeah, they, they have one. I think it sits in the museum when they're not using it. And this trophy is very similar to the Stanley Cup in hockey. Is there? They add the names on every year. And remember, we've been running this, the, the 55th, 51st running of, of Iditarod. And I know, Tony, you said the other day, what are they going to do when they run out of room? And I assume that they will do like they do with the Stanley Cup. They'll just add another uh, podium, you know, whatever that uh, thing is yeah. called, the extra section, and just continue to add them on. And it'll just get bigger and bigger as years pass. Uh, I guess, again, uh, kind of a question I don't know the answer to, but on that plaque of the, um, of the uh, big trophy, does it say Ryan Reddington, first place, champion, whatever, and the time? I think it does, right? For his, yeah, I believe so. It, it says, you know, nine days, whatever it was, um, you know, and, and and his name. And I think it says champion. If not, I mean, the, the trophy kind of gives it away. So. Yep, yep. <laughs> So the, right after all these awards, as you mentioned, they give a bunch of other stuff away, uh, ATVs and stuff like that. Uh, and one one cool thing that they do for the mushers, I guess it's mushers only, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is they give mm -hmm. all the mushers a key. And if it starts the ATV, it's theirs. And if it's not, obviously, uh, they're out of luck. Am I correct on that? You are, yeah. It's given by... Uh, NAC Northern Air Cargo um, and they have this big bowl of keys and as the musher comes up to do their little thank you speech and give their little stories and have their little minute in the spotlight which some of them enjoy and some of them are just like I'd like to thank my sponsors thank you goodbye um, but <laughs> they before they come up there they they get the key and then they uh, put it in the ignition to, and turn it to see if it starts. If it starts, you're the winner of the thing, and then nobody else has to draw a key, of course, um, but you still have to go up on the podium and talk. Um, but, yeah, and I don't know. You know, they're still doing the, the speeches, but I didn't see if somebody actually got the, uh, the award yet or not because I have it muted. So unless they, you know, uh, made a big little PowerPoint-type announcement, and I missed it. I, I don't know that they've they've won the the prize yet. So next up, I guess it relates to that. In years past, they would give other things away, mainly from a raffle. And uh, at that time, not only were they giving the winner a uh, a, a truck. Oh, by... they just won the award. Oh, who they was just that? Won it, and I can't tell who it was. Oh no, I can't so this is but in, it's somebody in the top 20 because they've got a trophy in their hand okay so so if <laughs> if you find out uh let us know here in just a second but for years past they would give about a uh, give away a bunch of other stuff 
um, that was raffled off. You could buy raffle tickets and, and, and that also included a truck or two. And remember that they're no longer giving a truck to the first place winner. Uh, I think that ended in 2020, if I'm not mistaken, but they don't do anything like that anymore. Those big raffle prizes. Is that right? Um, I'm not sure if they do it here or not. They do the raffle prizes at the picnic, um, where they do the two, uh, free entry fees. I'm not sure if they're doing it this year here at the, um, Musher's Banquet. I do recall one not too long ago, um, not the one that Lance won the inspirational Musher, but he also won, I think, one year in that raffle, his, his entry fee to the next races. Um, so I'm not sure if they're doing that again this year or not. They didn't say during the opening uh, speech or anything, but that doesn't mean that they aren't. So Up next is the purse. And I believe uh, Ryan received a little bit more than $50,000. And they've had a pretty hefty purse this year. I think it was $500,000 purse. And it paid down to, I think, the 20th spot. And then everybody yep. 20 down. So that would be 21 through 29, I guess, is the last finisher. Got mm-hmm. the $1,049. It was a decent purse breakdown because of such a small roster. But for our non-mushing fans, uh, even that $50,000 is not a huge amount if you take into account nope. the expenses that it takes to get to do a Diderot and uh, the dog food bill. And I only know from our personal experience, we have about a $2,000 a month dog food bill for our 35 dogs. So if you have double that, I can imagine it would be close to four or $5,000. And that does not include anything other than food. So it does not include vet bills or mm-hmm. anything like that. So it is a very expensive sport. And even at $50,000, it's a nice check, but it's definitely not going to pay all of your expenses through mm-hmm. the year. Uh, also, uh, every musher that uh, that finishes Iditarod gets that uh, coveted belt buckle. Some call it the $70,000 belt buckle. I guess they, they, uh, they are not lying when they say that. That is a very uh, important piece of a finisher's repertoire, if you will. They also get a patch, uh, and you will see those patches on many a jacket around uh, South Central Alaska and other parts, that finisher's patch, that's a, a very important part of finishing Iditarod. Do they get anything else that I'm missing aside from the 1049 check for everybody that finishes the patch and the belt buckle? And then, of course, they're in the finisher's club, so they have that exclusive, um, uh, the rights to vote. And, and, you know, it's sort of like the union of Iditarod mushers, but uh, <laughs> not as as organized or as political, I guess. Anything <laughs> else they get? Um, I'm sure. Sure, there is, but off the top of my head, I'm not coming. Those are the big ones that they definitely publicize. So who won the, uh, did you see who won the ATV? I did. It was Aaron Peck. Oh, so not only does he have to get that bad boy back to Anchorage, and I'm sure NAC will pay for that, but he's also got to figure out a way to yep. get it back to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yeah, uh, NAC said earlier tonight that they will ship it to any one of their hubs. Um, so it definitely will go at least to Anchorage, and then he's got to put it on a trailer and, and take it home. 
All right. So as you said, they're 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 doing their um, acceptance speeches right now. And I remember when Alex was on, he used to say that uh, the speeches at the um, starting starting banquet uh, were pretty subdued, relatively short. But I guess they can talk for as long as they want at the finishers banquet. And I would imagine, like you said, some have just a, a thing or two to say and others get up there and uh, recite a dissertation. Is that right? Uh, yeah, you know, they, they're encouraged to tell a story or two from the trail. Um, they, you know, they start off thanking their sponsors. In this case, I'm watching Christian Turner right now. I don't know what he's saying, of course. Um, but I had to laugh because he's so stupidly tall that they had to change the, the position of the microphone and the camera. But, um, you know, he's no doubt thinking uh, not just sponsors that jumped on at the last minute to help him get here, but also to Mitch Seavey for letting him drive his dog team. And then I'm sure, you know, he'll be able to tell a story. Maybe it'll be about helping Eddie Burke before Hunter came along, um, you know, in, in trying to help him find his dog team. So, uh, it's, it's always fun. They, they start giving each other crap a little bit, you know, the different friendships that are formed either out on the trail or just throughout the community. And, and so little inside jokes are sometimes shared where the audience will laugh, but you're like, I have no idea what any of that just meant, but it <laughs> sounded funny. So I'll laugh. Um, and then you do, you have the ones that are all business, just like they were two weeks ago in Anchorage, where it's just, I'm going to say thank you to the Academy. I'm going to say thank you to my producers. It feels very much like an Oscar speech and not necessarily something that's uh, more about the trails. But they all typically thank their dogs at the end. So uh, that's always the big deal. That is the big deal. So let's move on. Did we miss anything uh, to, in, in terms of the banquet before we get into our next section, which is our top story that we think that we think, at least from our reporting and our own uh, bias, if you will, uh, about I did around. Did we miss anything else uh, that you wanted to share? Nope, we hit everything because, like I said, it's still going on. So I'm sure when I get to watch the replay, there will be like, oh, I wish I'd been able to hear that so I could share it. But um, maybe that'll be a different podcast for a different day. Well, you are a diehard if you're going to watch a replay of the Finisher's <laughs> Banquet. Uh, uh, on a quick Thank note, you. yes, on a quick note, one of our students uh, was that came out through uh, the, the UAA class. He was a hardcore Iditarod fan, Tony. I mean, he and he said that he has learned everything that he's learned about Iditarod. His his uh, his knowledge was pretty, pretty good, wasn't it, Michelle? Yeah, absolutely. He said he's learned every bit of his Iditarod trivia and knowledge by watching only the documentary. So he reminded me of you <laughs> every single time he started reciting facts. Uh, he is one of those diehards that probably goes to sleep at night with one of those DVDs in the DVD player. So uh, we, we won't try to keep Don't you all night. Uh, you said that they started at 430. So it's been going on for four hours right now so that's a that's well it. yeah they they kind of they they opened the doors at four the ceremony kind of kicked off at six. Oh, okay so um, so two and a half because hours of, because of the yeah yeah so as far as the talking goes they got to eat first which is always what the mushers care most about anyway yep yep 
Um, so I guess my only other question in regard to the banquet, how are the mushers set up? I, I've seen them before where they've had like the champion that sits up on the, you know, kind of on the on the top of the stage, if you will. Where are they lined up this year or is it always the same? Uh, you know, it's just this little bitty like what you used to have when you were in middle school and you had to do a concert in the gymnasium. It, that's what their stage is. So there's really not a place to set a table or anything. They just have your standard either cafeteria tables or if you're a church-going person, it's your fellowship hall tables, just those uh, six, eight-foot tables, whatever they are. Um, and you just pick your seats and you sit down. I, there's not any, like, required spots for any of the mushers that I can tell. Uh, which is a little different than the musher, the mushers banquet in Anchorage, which those are round tables and they have place cards for where everyone is going to sit. So uh, but this is much more informal. <laughs> so even even uh, the champ is is um, he's not sitting up there with you know the big wigs, if you will. He's uh, he's in the crowd with everybody nope. else. Yeah, not, I don't see a specialty table anywhere. I like it. That I think that's important because, you know, they, they all are, are are part of the race for sure. And I think that I think that's a cool thing if they can just sort of be out in the public. Of course, it's a celebration not only of the finishers, but of course, the sport and and everybody that took part in it of, of it as well. So let's jump into this top story. Uh, I have no idea who should go first. So I'm going to pick on the person that's sitting right next to me. <laughs> And go with Michelle. Uh, <laughs> tell me what you think your top story of Iditarod was this year. I know this is the first year in a very long time where you've been with us every night except for one. I don't know. I don't even remember why you weren't with us that one night. I don't know if you had to work late or did school or something, but uh, you're here. And uh, uh, I think that that's the show that i handled by myself no 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 with with me i know tony oh it was because we were doing very early in the afternoon that day i think oh. it was a, a week yeah. or so on it friday was monday that first monday first monday the first yes monday but yeah you are the only one on the crew that that uh, managed to handle the entire show <laughs> on your own so definitely kudos That's to true. that so let's jump into this what was your top story of i did it could be something big that we really talked about or something that caught your eye what do you think? What's your what's your big takeaway? So, um, my big takeaway is that I handled the show by myself that one night. <laughs> okay. I mean, honestly, that's my biggest takeaway. Um, I I you know I think that this Iditarod is demonstrating a, a pivotal moment not only in the history of the sport. And the history of why we have the connection we have with dogs in the first place and the history of why we use dogs here in Alaska still to this day. I think that that we're like you guys have already mentioned, we are definitely seeing a changing of the guard. But not only that, we're seeing a switch in the mentality of the race itself. In what way? And, well, like young Miss Robinson mentioned, you know, that they're looking for the race to go back to a little bit more being about what Joe wanted it to be in the first place. 
Okay. Anything else you want to add before we go to the next? No, I'm trying not to make this into a political podcast as much as I can. All right. So, Tony, let's turn to you. <laughs> what was your big story in Iditarod? I'm gonna I'm gonna say Hunter Keefe and uh, Eddie Burke Jr. They speaking going right with Michelle's whole changing of the guard. They both have said they're not one and done. Um, Eddie has said he's not sure where he's going to be kennel-wise next year, but he already has plans to not only run again next year, but his plans in the future are to have his own kennel, and he wants to win this dang race. Um, you know, their battle for Rookie of the Year was exciting, and it wasn't one of those, like, bloodthirsty sniping at each other or anything like that, which most of the time the rookie of the year isn't like that anyway. But, you know, it was just like they both knew that they had the team that could get them in the top 10, that could win them that rookie of the year. But that wasn't their only goal. That was Eddie's even said many times in his interviews, as has Hunter, that was, yeah, going to be one of the cool things that they were possibly going to do. But it was just like, we're out here on the Iditarod. We didn't expect to be, in Eddie's case, he didn't expect to be there just a few years ago. Hunter has been dreaming of this since he was a little thing. Um, you know, and here they are having those moments together. And at one point, they're on the same sled runners trying to catch a runaway dog team. So that, to me, was probably my favorite Story. It's definitely one of the top stories that fans are talking about. And let me just say, I know that there are some people who feel like Eddie should hand Rookie of the Year over to Hunter or that Eddie shouldn't be allowed to be. I've seen, you know, Rule 19 be completely ignored with the whole you can have outside assistance um, to regain your dog team. And Hunter even said tonight in his speech, it was less than a mile away from the checkpoint when the snow machine came up on them. So for the most part, Christian Turner and Hunter Keith were giving him the ride to his dogs. But that's beside the point. No rules were broken. And I don't think Hunter wants to win Rookie of the Year on a technicality. He seems to think that he and Eddie are now best friends. Like, he's talking all about, I, I want to see somebody draw a little cartoon of them like, skipping in the clover or something this spring. They're just like, they're these buddies that just have the time of their lives. So um, that's, that's my top story. It's not as, it's not as dramatic as rainy past pony mafia, but nothing's going to ever top that story. Yeah. And, and that's sort of my lead into mine. Uh, we've been doing this in one form or another since I did a rod in 20, uh, 2011. So this is our 13th year, 12th year of doing a nightly I did a rod podcast. And that's a long time to talk about I did a rod every night for well more than a decade. And we've seen some exciting stories come on. I know we've said this before, but we've only had one on air finish and that's when Alex and I were on. I believe it was a Dallas finish. And that's when we were hosting at the radio. So that was exciting. Uh, the ponies were by far a big story. I remember <laughs> um, uh, the, the dog that, uh, that got the CPR on the trail, I believe it was, was a big mm -hmm. story. 
Scott Jansen, wherever he's at, he made big stories of Iditarod, whether he was running or not. I I really enjoyed talking about Scott uh, over over the years, and we could go on and on. The Ugly Dogs, obviously, is a story. Climate's a story. But this year, this has been one of those years where there wasn't any huge stories like that. We didn't have a big storm like we had a, a, in the last couple of years. Of course, we didn't have COVID. We didn't have the big time story with the Elam 11, even though we had the Shack Pack. Uh, we didn't have really any big headline stories with the exception of uh, uh, Jason Mackey with, with his brother Lance and his mom's ashes that was carrying on down the trail. So other than that, there wasn't a huge Oh my goodness, this broke the internet. I did a rod story. So I'm going to go really with what you two guys said uh, about sort of the changing of the guard, a, a different type of Iditarod than we've seen in the past. It's interesting that we're not mentioning, other than, than Jason, we're not mentioning a King, a Booser, a CV, uh, a Mackie, except for Jason. Uh, we're not mentioning you know, the big names. We talked about Brent Sass a lot, and I guess that could be the story of Iditarod where he stopped about uh, close to three quarters of the way in because of a toothache and some big time health issues. But I think the big story was the changing of the guard. And that was truly cemented tonight, Tony, when you told us about Emily's speech. And I, I fully think that mm -hmm. by her sort of uh, holding the candle high, if you will, and taking over the torch, whether she runs Iditarod or not, uh, she spoke volumes to sort of that uh, switching over from the old guard to the new. And I think that that's really exciting for the race. And it's going to be uh, interesting to see how it sort of plays out over the next few years, politics aside, as, as Michelle says. So uh, I usually thank all of our fans and things here, but I'm going to wait until we get to the end of the show to do that. But up next is our last musher profile for the 2023 race. We've talked about a whole bunch of, uh, of folks over the last couple of weeks. It's tough to pick these guys because we want to make sure that we give everybody a little bit of an equal uh, footing or equal standing, if you will. We don't like to showcase just one group of mushers. We don't, um, you know, we think pretty long and hard about who we want to talk about. And uh, the last one's always the hardest because that's the last one. <laughs> and tonight it is Dan Caduce. And we're doing that for a reason. But before we do that, uh, let's talk about what we know about Dan and uh, his history in Iditarod. Michelle, what can you tell us about Dan's bio? Well, Dan was born and raised in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. He moved to Alaska for the fun of it in 1993. He started mushing in 1994 and completed a lot of races in Alaska and Canada. He's done multiple Yukon quests. And his quote, before he just ended up running the Iditarod, uh, he and his wife, Jody Bailey, who is also an Iditarod veteran, they own Duclaw Kennel in Chattanooga, Alaska. And Dan says they are finally at the perfect place for training dogs. His first Iditarod was in 2010. 
Dan was the rookie of the year that year. And for the last eight years, he has been an equipment operator. He enjoys construction, woodworking, and hunting. All right. And Tony, what do you know about Dan? I'm just going to put it out there. Dan and Jody, Dewclaw Kennel is one of my favorite kennels in in the sport of mushing. Uh, they're just two of the, the best, most encouraging people. Um, Dan is more on the quiet side, and Jody is more bubbly in personality, at least uh, to general public. Uh, but still, he's just such a great guy. I wanted to talk a little bit about his his team's names. I don't have the full list because it's been two weeks since they posted that. But he has some interesting dog name or litter themes. And since we did talk about litter themes earlier in our shows, um, he has a an Asian food litter theme with a dog named Egg Roll who broke the internet uh, earlier this season in one of the races. He's, I think, one of the biggest dogs or is the biggest dog in Iditarod this year. I think he comes in close to 80 pounds. Uh, so he's taller, bigger. He's just, he's, he's just a, a massive dog. Um, his name's Egg Roll. Uh, they also have fried rice. There's dumpling and wonton. Um, now I'm starving and I just ate dinner. Um, but he also has a litter theme that is kind of controversial. And I know some of our listeners were not a fan of it, but I think it's hilarious because I have a dark sense of humor like that. Um, they have a serial killer litter theme. They have a Dahmer, um, and HH, uh, Holmes. They have, yeah, they, they have serial killers. They have a Bundy, um, and they went on the Iditarod trail. And, and so, you know, I, I appreciate dark humor like that. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, they're just such a, they're a giving kennel and that's kind of, um, and last year he won the humanitarian award. So he was the one that came in with all 14 dogs on the line. Um, they're very known for their dog care. So, uh, just a great way to kind of end it. His, his race didn't go the way he wanted it to this year. Um, with the trail conditions, you know, nobody's team really fared all that well with sore muscles um and whatnot but you know he babied his team along when needed and they they finished strong they looked great coming into the the finish line so um I, i'm just a huge fan and i'm trying not to be overly biased but there there's another reason like you said robert as to why we picked dan as our final musher yeah, and I've been following Dan for the last several years, and, and you are right, and in particular with what we're going to talk about in just a second, he is a very quiet type of guy, whereas his wife, Jody is definitely uh, <laughs> uh, the voice of the kennel for sure. But this guy, he, he's, been, he's been doing very well, very quietly for, for a long time. And as you mentioned, uh, just last year where he finished with all of his dogs. That is a very important and uh, uh, honorable thing to be able to do is to be able to finish a thousand mile race with all of your dogs. That's showing exceptional vet care for sure. From And that's the highest placement of any full team to win that, was that, last year. That so is, that is very, place, so. very impressive. So with that, uh, definitely a uh, an interesting part to Dan. 
Um, like like Michelle said, he he ran 2010 uh, with his rookie year at 10 days, zero hours, 50 minutes, and then he took uh, several years off. And when again in 2014, he came in 31st place with uh, a 20 hour difference in those four years with 10 days, 20 hours. His best finish was in 2021. And with eight days, 14 hours and 33 minutes. And then in 2022, as we just talked about, uh, fourth place with nine days, five hours, four minutes with a total prize money of $56,935. He won that Sepala Humanitarian Award in 2022, fastest to know, uh, safety to Nome in 2021, and rookie of the year in uh, 2022. 10. So it looks like uh, he, he does very well, at least in the award department, every time he runs. So uh, again, hats off to him, and I'm glad we're able to showcase him as our final musher, which takes us into a story that I'm sure some of our Iditarod fans know about, probably even more so now. As of this week, there was a podcast that dropped on... Um, New Hampshire Public Radio's podcast called Outside In. I have been a longtime listener of that podcast. I know the uh, executive producer of their podcast personally. We've we've met uh, a couple of times, but they are doing a series called The Underdogs, and you can find it by searching uh, The Underdogs wherever you listen to this this podcast or any others. And it is a very interesting story, and we are going to do a full review on that podcast in a week or two. I'm going to uh, reach out to the little bit of a connection I have uh, with those folks and see if we can get a preview of those two episodes so we can do our review a little early. So I'll see how that works out this week. But I'm going to turn it over to you, Tony. I know you know this story better than I do. I knew a little bit of it before I heard the podcast, but without giving anything away, because some people have not listened to it yet, and in particular are less than fanatical fans, what do you think about this series, The Underdogs, and what do you think it's going to uh, lead to, at least in the sport, without giving anything away, please? Honestly, I think you and I know probably the same amount of information. We just probably know different information. Um, this is a story about a kennel from not Alaska, not the U.S., not Canada. Um, they're from New Zealand. Um, but they had a kennel up here in Alaska so that they could run the races up here. They ran Iditarod several times. Um, and then things got weird. And I still don't know everything. And that's why this podcast I'm really excited to listen to. I did listen to the first episode, um, which uh, it does. It, it Talking about Dan and, and Jody, um, they were one of the, the kennels involved. They were kind of not, I mean, victims really of some of the stuff that happened when the team from New Zealand decided to go back home. Um, it, it, they, they basically took advantage of good people who, who have a heart for, for this lifestyle and, and dogs, and they wanted to help their fellow musher, and it bit them in the butt. 
and it didn't just happen to them. It's happened to several others when it was going on. I didn't know what the heck anyone was talking about. It was just I Jody would every once in a while go, hey, if you, and it was always like in code and vague booking, but, you know, if you have any information on whatever, can you just shoot me a message or, hey, any mushers that have ever, you know, um, housed other mushers' dogs, can you, like, shoot me a message? I've got questions. That sort of thing. And now it's all coming to light in this podcast. And it's not just about Dan and Jody. They're just from the first episode. And then they're going to move on to other mushers and other locations that had the same experience. Michelle, I know you and I listened to this podcast uh, just yesterday, I guess it was. And uh, what's your take, again, without uh, spilling the beans, if you will? Well, you know, I am a fan of Outside In, not just because you're listening to it or have listened to it in the past. I like their um, trajectory in their story builds. And correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Blair part of Outside Magazine? And that's a derivative of nope. that? Yep. Oh, th- this nope. is totally different. This okay. is uh, this is a podcast from the NPR in, oh, in New Hampshire. Okay. Whereas so, she wrote for Outside Magazine, which has their own podcast, which is awesome, by the way. Right, but it's totally but it's unrelated. Not, it, okay, but it, that's where it's confusing because it's Outside In. And yeah, so this, yeah. this is a little confusing. Um, but they they put together a great story and i think that they're going to shed light on a a dark side of dog mushing but not only dog mushing you guys because i'm a dog trainer and i operate a dog training business with robert we see this happen a lot with rescues and people that are calling themselves dog rescues and they take advantage of people and they hoard animals for profit and i mean that's not what happened here but people do things with dogs that the general public does not view as okay or right or just and jody and dan were trying their best to do right by the dogs and provide them with a safe and healthy environment to thrive in all the while they ended up in a position that could have hurt themselves personally and their own personal dogs. And so it, it's a very difficult situation to land yourself in anyone out there that's ever been part of a farm where you've owned livestock you can get yourself into a situation rather quickly when you start to offer yourself and your land up as a way to help somebody that's down and out or in need and I know that there are people out there that hate it when we refer to sled dogs as livestock but essentially that's what they're legally that's what they legally are in the state of Alaska they're livestock and Jody and Dan were left with someone else's livestock to take care of. Yeah, and I think both of you guys did a great job uh, telling the the uh, preview of the story without spilling the beans. And I just want to go a little bit different <laughs> direction 
Uh, like you said, uh, Michelle, I've been listening to this podcast for a long time, several years. I remember we started listening to this uh, on one of our really long um, uh, road trips down in the lower 48. And, and I would put those on and, you know, being in the outdoor leadership profession, I'm definitely drawn to these type of podcasts. And uh, we, we've gone back and forth many, many times on Twitter, uh, me and the, the hosts of the podcast. And like, like I said, I've met a bunch of these guys at the podcast conferences and all that. But I think that this is an exceptional podcast, whether it's about dog sledding or not. Uh, as you mentioned, Michelle, the storytelling is top notch. Uh, the, uh, the host of this one, his name is Nate. Uh, he did a fantastical job putting in facts that the average dog owner would not know about about dog mushing. He did a great uh, understanding of how sled dogs are different than your golden retriever. I think that that's an important part of this. Well, I'll just add, he's painting a very well-informed picture. Yep. Yep. And I remember when we were listening to an episode sometime around, I don't know, Christmas or so, maybe it was a little bit later. I remember he he was on another one of the episodes and he says, I'm up in Alaska on a special assignment and I cannot report what I'm doing up here right now. And uh, you will be surprised, and I'm paraphrasing 100%, but you'll be surprised of the story that we're going to tell uh, in, uh, in a few months. Now, this is not some kind of, oh my God, uh, frontline type, Mm -hmm. groundbreaking, you know, this is going to shatter the, the mushing world type story. But I think mm -hmm. it's of interest enough to not only us in the sport and fans of the sport, but also for people that we know, uh, whether personally or at least in the mushing community and how things like this can happen. So I am really excited to hear the other episodes that are coming out uh, in the next couple of weeks and talking about those. And of course, we'll be talking about them after everybody else has listened, but hopefully we can shed light on a little bit different perspective. Number one, as a podcaster, number two, as, as folks in the mushing community, as Michelle and I are. And then lastly, with, uh, with um, Tony's take on this, not only as a big time fan of the sport and who sort of has her finger on the pulse of the mushing community on social media, I think that we will get a very interesting perspective that will be interesting to talk about on the podcast. So we are at our last segment. This is our longest episode yet. I believe last year, Tony, we did this episode where I was in a little hotel room talking into a mic uh, plugged up to my iPhone uh, in a hotel room in somewhere in the middle of Washington when I was doing a wilderness first responder. And I think we went well over two hours that episode. So we will not be at that distance this time, but we have really two more segments left. The question of the day and then our uh, closing remarks for this year's Iditarod. So let's jump into it. Last we, uh, night's question was, uh, what was it, Tony? I, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, let me read it for you then. It was, what's a major award that you have received? Oh, yes. Yes. So what did we get back? Um, well, no uh, fragile Italian leg lamp. Dang. But we did get, <laughs> we, 
We did you, get, uh, you my posted, boss even chimed in. Hold on. You posted the best GIF on the comments. I just have to tell you. <laughs> I Well, I, I needed something to get people's attention. Nobody was answering the question. Right? No um, kidding. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so my boss even chimed in on this one. She won a pie eating contest in high school, which uh, if you know my boss would not be surprising because she goes all in when it's ridiculous, something ridiculous. She goes all in. Um, where was the one? There was one, and I think it's on actually Twitter, but um, some of the answers were so cool, like um, people winning major awards through their profession, like getting things named after them and whatnot. Um, one person wrote, um, I seem to win raffles for things I don't want, which cracked me up. So uh, I feel that. Yep. <laughs> um, lots of journalism awards, lots of television awards. Um, Lots of, we did have lots of state fair awards, actual awards, not participation ribbons. I'm just saying mine's not an award. Um, one, Bonnie Foster writes, the students at the college that I was teaching pediatric nursing asked me to be the speaker at their commencement. I had been battling administration all year over how and what I should teach. And it was so gratifying that over 250 students chose me. Best award I ever earned. Um, that one's nice. Yeah. So just, yeah, just so much. Uh, Casper uh, from both Twitter and Facebook says, I won a new camera body in a photography contest once. That was pretty sick. I entered that same contest, guys. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, this is not a good question for me, Robert. I know. You know, I, I, I was reading these as I always do in the middle of the night when I wake up uh, from some some bout of insomnia. And uh, I, I saw a lot of uh, modest folks on there who said that they've never won anything. But I bet if you really thought about it, you had. And remember, this was a play on uh, the Christmas story uh, major award. It didn't have to be a, an Oscar or an Emmy or, you know, whatever. It could have been a gold star on a paper you wrote in grade school. Because, you know, to little kids, that's a big deal. So I, I think uh, a lot of people answered it with grace. And I thought that some of the answers were, were very cool. So let's switch over to the last question of our Iditarod coverage. And it happened to be one that we've already answered. Typically, we give the question, then we'll give our answers. And the question for the night is, the I did a question, it is, what is your top story for this year's I did a rod? And I know that it will be difficult to answer on Twitter. I guess you could do a thread or, or whatever, but uh, try to answer it as best as you can. What do you think that your biggest story was in this year's I did a rod? Was it Jason Mackey? Was it the changing of the guard? Was it uh, uh, Ryan Reddington being the first Reddington to win? What was it for you? We would love to hear about it. Remember, Tony will post it after the episode. It will be hashtag I did a question. So check it out. And then uh, we will provide some answers to this on our next broadcast, which will be in about two weeks unless we get uh, some inside scoop from the <laughs> underdogs podcast. So let's end this off. 
Tony, uh, before I do my thanks to everybody, I'm sure you'll probably want to thank some folks too in this part of the show for you. Uh, tell us your thanks. And also, did we miss anything or anything you want to add? I just want to add another story. I know I already picked my story, but we should also just acknowledge one more time that this is the first year since 1974 or 75 where the top three finishers were all indigenous mushers, um, which is hitting the goal of the Joe Reddington set back in the day. And so I think it's quite poetic and fitting that not only is the Reddington the champion this year, but Joe's dream is alive and well in that way. And let's hope that it continues that way. As far as my thanks, I want to thank you and Michelle for letting me do this again. Um, it's been a blast. Uh, we keep getting wordy and windy. And every time I say, this is going to be short and sweet, then we go really long. So thank you to all of our listeners who stick it out through the entire episode and not just, you know, quit. 30 minutes or 40 minutes in. So thank you to everyone who has reached out to me, giving encouragement and support to our podcast and to me specifically. Uh, thank you to everyone that I met uh, in Anchorage and Willow two weeks ago. That was something my dad's mind is still blown. Like he, it was not creeping him out, but he said it was very difficult to get over the fact that so many people within the mushing community and the fandom now know who I am just by looking at me, um, which I'm like, yeah, that creeps me out. So thank you to everyone who said hi and forced me to get in front of a camera. It was a lot of fun sharing and hearing your stories. And I hope we get to do that again next year. Uh, Michelle, go ahead. Well, I'd like to say thank you for re-inviting me back into this world with you. Um, but I want to say a shout out to all of our diehards that have been with us through all of the years. And I want to give a bigger shout out to all of our new listeners that stuck this out. This is definitely a different type of podcast forum, if you will. And and for those of you that did just join us and my diehards that have been here for the long haul, share this podcast with your friends and family that have no idea what this crazy phenomenon known as mushing is all about and have them give a listen to some of our shows. For sure. For for what both of you guys said, it, it's uh, definitely a labor of love to do this. This is sort of my real job, if you will, uh, earning a, a, a living doing podcasting. Of course, I do own several other businesses with Michelle, but this is one that probably takes up more of my time than anything else, including more time than at least this year than running the sled dogs. We focus this year on running our dogs for our college courses that we took. It'll be a little bit different next year now that we have some big plans coming up in the next couple of years. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a labor of love for Let, sure. Let's just say podcast before dinner. Podcast before dinner, <laughs> yes. Uh, we have probably done close to, what, 20 or 30 hours of podcasting uh, this in the last two weeks. And... The average podcast, guys, is about eight minutes in podcasting world. So we have 
20 times that, 30 times that, whatever you want to say. Most podcasts are not an hour, 31 minutes and 14 seconds as we are at right now. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks to pay, everybody. Pay the bills, Robert. Thanks for everybody that's sticking out. Uh, <laughs> thanks on all of our platforms. We've gotten a lot of comments. Uh, I, I have never thought that a podcast does well on YouTube because most people go to YouTube to watch videos. But our podcast does very well there compared to a lot of others. So thanks to all of our listeners there. That's where a lot of our comments come from. Uh, thanks for all the reviews that you guys have given us this year. Thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. We've gotten a handful of them this, this year. Uh, we are at patreon.com slash firstpalmedia. And you can join us any time of the year for as little as a dollar all the way up to our super fan level. And again, thanks to all of our diehard fans that have been with us, all the Ugly Dogs fans. Uh, the Ugly Dogs group has gone a long way since those early days with uh, Quince and Tony and I and a couple of others and well before uh, the Blair Braverman explosion with her book and Grinch and all of that big time difference from way back in the day. I think Tony can attest to that 110%. Uh, and the numbers show that we are doing very well with our podcast. The last time we looked, I think we were at about 420,000 people that have listened to at least a minute of our show. That's how they do a download. If you've listened, it's either a minute or three minutes. So if 420,000 people have listened to at least a minute of our talking, that is pretty dang impressive, and I have to give my hat off to that for sure. And it's all over the world. I remember just last week we were talking on our other podcasts that uh, one of our highest-ranking countries happened to be in Angola in Africa. And interestingly enough, they responded back and said, hey, that's me. And if you recall from our coverage here on Iditarod, we had mentioned that we had a listener in Netherlands and said, hey, that's me. And Michelle went as far, Michelle and I went as far out as booking a cruise to go to, excuse me, it wasn't the Netherlands, it was Croatia. Croatia. I was Croatia. Say, yes, it was Croatia. It was Croatia. Uh, <laughs> and, and we went ahead and booked a cruise for 2024. And maybe we will meet that I did a fan. I hope so, if we're in the right area of the country. So thanks to you. I think her name was Ava, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, so or Eva. Eva or Eva. And somebody corrected us when we said it wrong the first time. So thanks to all of you guys all over the world. We look forward to doing this again next year. I know Tony and I will be on every other week uh, for the foreseeable future. She has not sent in her resignation letter yet. Oh, uh, and I will be on the gang line the after show we will have the after show so yep. definitely stay tuned to that for sure so again please and the kobuck 440 the kobuck 440 <laughs> in what is that three weeks from now tony three weeks i think i think we have three weeks it yep. might only be two at this point i don't know we don't know we don't know so we will be back on for our preview and uh, post show for the Kobuk. We'll go back to that format for that. And then we'll jump into our off season coverage for sure. And just try to remember guys, we hope to do some live reporting this coming year, hopefully even for the finish in Nome. So hopefully with all that. 
So with all of that, guys, uh, Michelle has one final thing that she wants to say. See you on the trail. See you on the trail. Goodbye. From Dog Works Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.